You're listening to The Sweeper, the pan-European football podcast that brings you all the news from the 55 UEFA nations and sometimes a little bit beyond. On this episode, we talk about the Mongolian player currently cycling 7,000 kilometers to Manchester, the closest teams in Europe's top 20 leagues to an international border, and Rook Chortsov's unique rollercoaster ride. Hello and welcome to the latest fortnightly dose of all your niche football needs with myself, Lee Wingate, and my esteemed co-host, Paul Watson. We've got a veritable treasure trove of stories lined up for you in this podcast, including some live experiences on opposite sides of the world, a quirky segment covering all things football geography, and some of our favorite stories from across the European continent. First up, though, I've got quite the emotional rollercoaster of a story to share from my travels in Austria at the start of June. Now, this might seem like a bizarre place to start, but Paul, how closely did you follow the entirety of Liverpool's 2004-5 Champions League winning campaign? <laughs> um, pretty, pretty closely, I'd like to think. I feel like this is a weighted question, though. <laughs> Do you remember the qualifying rounds? Oh, no, no. I don't, I don't think many of the players in the Liverpool team can remember the qualifying <laughs> rounds in 2004. Well, one of the teams that they played in the qualifying rounds was Graza Aka from Austria. And Graza Aka were the Bundesliga champions at the time and actually became the only team in that entire campaign to beat Liverpool at Anfield. Did not know that. Yeah. That's a great start. Ultimately, I mean, it didn't matter because they lost in Austria. And <laughs> well, yeah, I presume so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Their story is, is quite an interesting one because a few years later, they filed for bankruptcy. And this kind of happens quite a lot in Austria where clubs disappear and then they merge and then they re-emerge. And that's what happened to Graz at Akar. They disappeared for a few years and amid a load of financial problems, that seemed to be it. But then they refounded and started again in the eighth tier of Austrian football. As far as I know, the eighth tier is pretty much like Sunday league. I have got friends that play in that kind of level wow. here. Yeah. So it was really at the bottom of the pyramid. And in the next six seasons, they became champions in every season, which is pretty astounding. The rise was pretty meteoric. It kind of stalled a little bit more uh, recently because they've had a few seasons in the second division now. But they went into the final day of this season's second division with a one-point lead over another club called Blauweiss Linz who are quite interesting themselves because they won the league a couple of years back, celebrated by bringing a supermarket trolley full of beer cans onto the pitch to drink, and then actually forwent promotion and decided not to go up anyway. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it was for Brilliant. financial and infrastructural reasons, I think. It happens quite often. Clubs in Austria just don't have the infrastructure or the money to go up, and they, they simply decide to stay where they are. Just drink the beers, get the, get yeah. <laughs> drink the supermarket beers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this season was their moment and they went into the final game of the season in Dornbirn, which is right over by Liechtenstein. So I was back out west for the second time in a few weeks. No mudslides this time, uh, thankfully. Yeah, but they, they had a one-point lead and they essentially needed to match the result of Blauweiss Linz to, to go up. And 
the atmosphere was incredible. Austria doesn't really have the away day culture that we're used to in, in the UK or, you know, in other countries like Germany. It just doesn't really exist. And it was a, a big surprise to see them take about two and a half thousand fans all the way to the other side of Austria. Uh, there was a, a sea of red, lots of drinking, lots of chanting, really great atmosphere. But the uh, Grazer Arka social media accounts tweeted before the game, we've conquered Dornbeer, which I thought was a very, yeah, very presumptuous. I, feel, I, I can feel some te- fate being tempted here. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really was um, because they were terrible. They were absolutely terrible in Dornbeer. And it didn't matter initially because Blauweiss Linz went 1-0 down to Sturm Graz's reserves, who are Grazer Arka's rivals. So their, their rivals were helping them out. And you heard this cheer go through the crowd when the Sturm Graz reserves had scored against Blauweiss Linz. So it it was all okay at that point. But then Blauweiss Linz came back. It was 2-1. And so they had to win. And they hit the bar twice. Like one of them, a guy slid in. He had an open goal, edge of the six-yard box. It goes up, hits the bar, bounces down on the line, comes out. It was just one of those days where it, it wasn't happening for them. And then we come to the 88th minute when Dornbin went down the other end and a player by the name of Gustavo Balotelli scored <laughs> for Dornbin to make it 1-0. Um, and I presume upon hearing that surname, the first thoughts of both the listeners and yourself will be the same as mine. Balotelli. I mean, why always him? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Quiet. Um, his name like... is not actually Balotelli, though. That's the thing. Ah, so what? So he's like called him. It's one of these ones where it's like, you know, he's got a real name. It's so-and-so, Balotelli, so-and-so. It's like an inverted commas sort of thing or... Yeah, and he doesn't even like it. But the reason he has the name is because uh, apparently when he was an academy player some years ago, he had the same haircut as Mario Balotelli. So and <laughs> they just, just called him Balotelli. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, so it's another. So Balotelli ruining another weekend for someone. I mean, he totally ruined it because at that point they had to come back and score two goals and they did get one back and then they had a chance right towards the end, blasted it over the bar but that was that was it. That was them done. And I've obviously I've been to quite a lot of football by now at this point in my life, as I presume you have. But I've never seen something quite like this because it was so emotional. Like the ground was even though they were away, the ground pretty much fell silent. The fans streamed onto the pitch, the away fans in a kind of uh, to console them, basically. Oh, wow. And the players, the guy that had hit the bar from close range, he dropped to the ground and he was sort of. You could see his chest moving up and down as he was crying and his child came on to, to hug him. It was really heavy oh. and not the finish that obviously they were hoping for. It's funny, isn't it? Because this, this is what you forget that this happens in football quite a lot. And this is the beauty of football. But it's almost like this thing that if you were to script this, there was no way on earth this is how you would have made mm-hmm. that go. And it's mm-hmm. that weird thing of, I guess, what makes sports so special. But when it does go like this, you're like, oh, every single person in this ground, in a way, expected this not to be the case. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not, like it doesn't even sound like the home team had a particularly massive amount of investment in stopping them. But accidentally, <laughs> thanks to the fake Balotelli, they've sort of ruined everyone's day. <laughs> it's sort of the weird beauty of sport, isn't it? That the fact that you can't control what happens, but everyone in that stadium sort of thought that was what was going to happen. It's, it's weird. Yeah, and it would have completed a remarkable fairy tale with this rise all in the last decade to get back from the eighth tier to the Bundesliga and I think to the best of my knowledge I could be wrong and perhaps some listeners will be able to correct us on this 
But I don't know of any other club that has become champions of the top eight tiers in their country. That in itself, because not every country has eight tiers, does it? So No, and then you're looking at, when you start to look at places that does have eight tiers, it, it, again, it's very rare you're going to win all of those leagues. Yeah, no, I, I, I would think that might be a unique achievement, actually. Well, it would have been a unique achievement. <laughs> Well, are they, they have actually already previously won the second tier, I think. So they have done it, but obviously... Oh, okay, uh, okay. It would yeah. have, I think they would have been the first team to do it this century if they'd managed to, to win the, the second division this season. Sadly not. They missed out. They'll be in the second division again uh, next season. Uh, but if you want to hear more about that trip, we, we don't have too much time for it today. But if you want to find out a little bit more about that and all about Austrian football, there is another podcast, which I also co-present called the other Bundesliga and we did a a whole episode on that trip to Dornbirn but it's time now for us to make the big leap from Central Europe to remote Oceania and to look ahead to Paul's big live experience next month because you like any normal British holidaymaker will be making a 30,000 kilometer round trip to Micronesia in July to see the nation's first futsal tournament and a lovely piece of news you've just transferred the revenue from the sale of shirts to pay for the players' flights. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts ahead of the tournament. In a weird way, so it's been about six months we've been trying to make this tournament happen, and it's got steadily more likely. And in a strange way, it's a real moment of realising it's going to happen because I've just booked my own trip. And I wasn't sure I was going to be able to go, so I held, I saved the money for potentially going, and I had it held in case we ran out of money for one of the teams. Because obviously, if I go and Yap don't have a sixth player, (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. kind of not a great arrangement for anyone. So I've had this idea that I probably wasn't going to go. But luckily, these shirts, so we got these shirts made by Stings, by like a a UK sort of boutique kit designer, and a shirt for each of the islands, Koshrai, Yap, Duke and Pompeii. And I expected we'd sell about 100 of them. And I, I had this down on our sort of budgeting and I thought, well, look, we're going to really struggle to find the budget for this tournament because there's, there's no funding for Micronesian football. There's, there's no channel to go through, really. But, you know, I thought, look, I'll do what I can. And suddenly we ended up selling seven times as many as that. And it's funded the entire, more or less the entire tournament has been funded off people buying these shirts from all around the world. But, yeah, I'm having this real moment of realising it's, it's happening. And also I'm going to be there. And this will be my first time back in Pompeii. Mm-hmm. Uh, in almost a decade, actually, I did go. I went in 2014 when they first held the uh, football at the micro games. So they had a, a regional football tournament there, but before that, I hadn't been been back since 2010. So it's kind of a a weird and surreal moment to think of being on back on that island. Actually, how are you going to get there? I mean, because I actually looked on Skyscanner to see how does one get from London to Micronesia, <laughs> and there were multiple changes involved. There are. And routes, the the less you want to pay, the more exquisitely painful the route becomes. My route's actually not too bad, but I'm paying an amount of money I don't want to ever think about again. Like I say, I'm, <laughs> see, I'm seeing this as like a once in a decade treat to myself to do this. And it's, it's going London to Seoul, Seoul to Guam, Guam to Pompeii. So it's actually not too bad. There are variants on this where you end up stopping at like Dubai, Manila, Japan, like you can stop in many, many places. But yeah, I just, I really wanted to do this. And I also lose two days getting out there and I can't really afford to lose any more days. So I went quite a quick route. But yeah, it's going to be a really surreal experience going back to the island, I think, after all these years. But it just feels like the right time there. I know we're going to 
obviously talk about it in more detail once you've been, but just a little rundown. Mm. What are the four teams and what is the tournament going to be? So, yeah, the four teams are the four states that make up the Federated States of Micronesia. So the, the problem the nation has in a way is that the, the nation, the Federated States of Micronesia, is Yap, Chuk, Koshrai and Pompeii. But they are four separate entities that are quite a distance away from each other, some of them, and have their own very strong sort of cultural identities. So these four states are going to compete against each other at futsal. But more than that, what it's going to do is bring... The Federated States of Micronesia's football passionate or futsal football pe- people into one place. And it's kind of really nice thought of gathering all these people in one place so that they can get to know each other better, meet each other, and also elect in an FA. So there's not a formal FA in Micronesia at the moment. And that will help with the potential, you know, going down the road if they want to get into Oceania football or Asia football. They, they really do have to have a proper FA. And that's what we're also going to do during this tournament. So it's quite, it takes on a, a sort of wider significance than just simply, you know, who's going to win the tournament. But that is interesting in itself to me. <laughs> Will people be able to follow what's going on at the tournament either somebody asked i think about a live stream i presume that's not possible but maybe it is and also will people be able to hear from you or the internet reception just will you not have internet there well it's funny because this is this is where things have changed so much so when i used to be there 10 years ago things were so different i mean we barely had twitter it really existed facebook was was around but people didn't really use it the internet then was really really bad on the island and used to have to go into the telecoms building and sit there (laughs) with your laptop and i remember times where you you'd pay 20 dollars and it would get wiped out in eight minutes or something and then other days randomly you'd be given a thousand dollars just by just by complete chance when you logged in and you just use it as much as you could so it (laughs) internet on the island was was a nightmare 10 years ago now it's a lot better but I still don't know if it's up to the task of streaming a live football match because that obviously that requires pretty high level internet. But my hope is that at worst, you'll get updates from me daily with, you know, my probably badly taken iPhone videos of goals and chatting some of the players. But yeah, I'm going to give it all the coverage I can really because I think I think it's really nice for the players to feel people out there are, are watching. And that's been one of the loveliest things is showing you know, showing Yap's captain and Koshrai's captain, showing them pictures of people in Brazil, or there's a guy who's one of the, um, I think it's Minnesota FC, one of their ultras is wearing the Yap shirt at a game with 30,000 fans behind him. And it's like, these things really make a difference because it's it's a place that can feel very outside of the world. And so feeling you're being brought into a community is a big deal to them. And um, it's a lovely thing that we can sort of show that people in this country, people in Italy, people in Germany actually care about about this 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 place. It's really lovely. I'm very jealous that you're getting to go. And uh, we will, of course, be dedicating a full segment uh, at the very least to your Micronesia trip at some stage in July, mostly to satisfy my curiosity, but I'm sure the listeners will want to find out too. Uh, but that talk of a long distance journey sets us up nicely for our football geography segment, which kicks off in another one of the remote and far flung places you have previously lived in, Paul. We'll be back with that in just a second. Welcome back to part two of the Sweeper podcast, a segment that is brimming with stories of road trips, away days, and some other geographical quirks too. We ended part one with a look ahead to Paul's trip to Micronesia, and roughly half the distance between his current home and his summer holiday destination is another place beginning with M, Mongolia. 
where our resident journeyman has also lived in the past. Tell us about your time running the anti-corruption football club in Ulaanbaatar, Bayangol FC, and how you came across Achiru, the protagonist of our next story. Yeah, so it was a bit of a longer story, but basically the club that I was I flew over to to take over to coach lost its funding while I was en route. Literally, I was in the air. I was probably in, over Istanbul at the time. And so I arrived to find we had no team, no money, no football, nothing. But the owner of the club was uh, a guy called Enki, really like a very enterprising guy, just marched us into a TV office, basically the equivalent of ITV in Mongolia, just said, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a reality TV show where we find these players around the country and we're going to make them famous and we're going to make this our kind of founding story of this club and he got it he got a tv show within days which is we were suddenly making this tv show and as part of that we got introduced to this guy Ochiro, who was at the time i think 16 lived in a yurt on the outskirts of Ulaanbaatar, which, which a lot of families do a lot of families come in from the outskirts of mongolia where it's very unpopulated and come to Ulaanbaatar to sort of live a new life don't have anywhere to live so they, they basically end up in a yurt on the outskirts which is a very heavily polluted area like this coal you get the coal dust in your lungs immediately. And that's where Ochoa lived. And he, despite living in these remote settings, was a massive Manchester United fan and loved Wayne Rooney and would go and watch Manchester United at the fan club events, which you have every every game match in Ulaanbaatar in a bar at ridiculous times in the morning. And he would also go to this school gym. He was given the keys to his school gym so that he could open it up all year round and just kick a ball basically against a wall for hours before school started at sort of 6am in sometimes in like minus 15, minus 20 degrees. So we got introduced to Ochiro that way. But as part of this TV show, we were supposed to sort of discover him. <laughs> and it was, yeah, kind of a ridiculous experience to meet this guy and see his passion for the sport, despite having had no encouragement, really. And he had a bit of a bad experience with an agent around that time, didn't he? Yeah, so he eventually became sort of a key part of our team and some, you know, this whole process took, I guess, three years, you know, and he he became a, a really key part of the side. But he became very withdrawn at a certain point and we couldn't work out what had happened. He, he wouldn't want to talk to us, which was really unlike him. And it turned out he'd been approached on Facebook by someone claiming to be a football agent who said that they'd sort of seen videos of him playing, thought he was really good and had got him a trial with LA Galaxy. All he needed to do was transfer X amount of money. It was, you know, relatively small by our terms, probably a few hundred pounds for his insurance stocks. And then they'd get his flight sorted. And, you know, for us, when he told us about this, I'm, you know, immediately being from a privileged Western background, you know, it was very clear this was a scam. But to him, not having English as his strongest language and with the fact that this agent has specifically said, don't talk to your club, they'll be jealous. Don't talk to any of your coaches. They'll try and stop you doing this. But you've got to live your dream. He fell for it. And his family borrowed eventually $3,000, I think it was, and borrowed that from from everyone they could borrow money from and lost it to this fake agent. And we were very lucky that we found out the story. We knew what had happened immediately. And we actually did a crowdfunder. We're lucky enough to get some media in this country by the fact that he's a Manchester United fan. I think that made people, that helped humanise him a little bit. People could understand what he was losing. And we managed to, to refund him thanks to the generosity of, people all over the world really and after that he he was you know it had a big impact on him but you know his family didn't lose their house he continued playing football and eventually played for Ulaanbaatar City the the champions of, of Mongolia at the time so sort of continued to live his life but it was a real a real sign of something that is very prevalent this idea of young impressionable footballers being told 
that they can get contracts, but actually being ripped off. To end the story on a happy note now, though, he's embarked upon a pretty madcap challenge, hasn't he? Tell us about that. <laughs> so, yeah, he was always a Man United fan, passionate, passionate fan, never misses a game. He decided he's going to go to Old Trafford, but obviously he didn't make it easy for himself, partly because I think he can't afford necessarily to just fly to Old Trafford, but partly because he loves a challenge. He's decided he's going to cycle from his house in Battle <laughs> to Old Trafford. And... It's absolutely crazy. He's in China at the moment, making pretty good headway and befriending everyone along the way, telling them all about Manchester United. He says he's due to make it to Old Trafford in December, according to his calculations. I, I haven't got the exact number of kilometres. I think it's crazy. I'd, I'd love to know exactly. It might be 9,000. I don't want to get it hopelessly wrong, but it's a huge, huge distance, including going, you know, through Russia basically for all of Europe's landmass. <laughs> and hopefully, my hope is that when he does get to the UK, because knowing him and everything he's been through, he will get here. There's no doubt about that in my mind. He, he has absolute steadfast determination. I'm just really hoping the club will, will welcome him and make a bit of a fuss of him, because it will be an enormous thing for him. It's really wonderful, and we wish him the best of luck. He's on the road for a long time, isn't he? So I'm sure we'll uh, keep a close eye on his journey. Our next story is another place that Ochiro will likely be cycling through, or at the very least around. Uh, that's Kazakhstan, uh, which we talked about on the last episode as being the place with the biggest top flight league away day in a UEFA country. That was the long trip that Kaspi Aktal made uh, from the shores of the Caspian Sea in western Kazakhstan to Taldi Korgan in the southeast of the country. And they played that game on the 4th of June. I don't suppose you know what happened, do you? No, I didn't check. I, I can only hope the away side lost to a last minute goal. That is exactly what happened. No. <laughs> That's brutal. Yeah, they travelled 2,155 kilometres, which is a distance I presume they flew, but it would have taken 46 hours by bus. That's how far away it is. They went 2-0 up in the first half, then conceded in both first and second half stoppage time and lost 3-2. Oh. <laughs> that, as you say, that would be a long bus journey back, wouldn't it? A lot of time to think about what went wrong on that one. What I find particularly bonkers about it, though, is that we recorded that episode only a fortnight ago. And in the two weeks since, there are now two European countries with a bigger top flight league away day due to promotions. Do you want to hazard a guess at what they might be? Well, I think you... so. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think that the, the, there's one in Russia that I do remember seeing mm. mentioned, but I can't remember which the team is. And Russia obviously has a huge potential for these. There was a team in that uh, Russian enclave, is it, or exclave, mm -hmm. uh, in Kaliningrad. Now, have they been, is it Baltica? Have they been promoted? Yeah, exactly. So they're from okay. this little exclave, which is between Poland and Lithuania, and they got promoted for the first time in 25 years which means that they are now back in the Russian Premier League. And for them, it's probably an upgrade because they're not making that crazy journey all the way across the country to Khabarovsk anymore. But they will have to travel to Yekaterinburg, which is 2,481 kilometres as the crow flies, which is quite sizable. And then if you factor into that the fact that they have to now fly upwards through the Baltic Corridor, over St. Petersburg and then down because of airspace closures due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That obviously means that it's going to be a lot more than two and a half thousand kilometers. 
Wow. Yeah, that is pretty sizable. That is pretty sizable. But what's this other one? You said there's another one. So Russia for me was was that's kind of obvious because Russia just just naturally has this potential mm -hmm. for huge away days. But what's the other one? I think it might catch a few people by surprise. It's Spain. Really? Yeah. Spain. I feel like this must be some sort of trick question. Is it an island team? No, it can't be. The Canaries can't be that far, can they? So what? That, that's what I thought. But yeah. Las Palmas from Gran Canaria, which is off the west coast of Africa, uh, got promoted back to La Liga. And the distance between the island and the furthest top flight club on the mainland, which is Girona, is 2,256 kilometers. Wow. That, that, I suppose that shows how much you edit out ocean as distance in a way, doesn't it? Like I've never thought of the Canaries being that far mm -hmm. off the mainland. But then when you also factor in going all the way across the Spanish mainland, I guess, yeah, that's quite a, quite a stat, that one. We've got one last geographical topic for you in this segment, and it's actually our main story in this episode because 44% of our lovely patrons voted that they wanted to hear a bit more about border clubs. Which clubs in Europe's top 20 leagues are located the closest to an international land border? And if you're wondering why on earth we came up with the idea of investigating this, it's because about a year ago, I went to Lustenau in Western Austria and I was in the stadium at the back of the main stand and I looked out behind me and I saw a view of the Rhine and Switzerland on the other side and it couldn't have been more than about 100 or 200 meters away and that got me thinking like what clubs in Europe are closer to a border so I'll hand it over to you have you got any guesses nah, which ones I might do. be? I do have one but it may be based on a, a misconception but isn't it chester fc in the in, mm -hmm. in england or england where they're basically on the english welsh border mm -hmm. yeah, right and to the extent yeah. where like i don't know how extreme it is i don't know if it's like one stands in wales one stands in england i don't know if it's quite that extreme but right it's very close i think isn't it yeah that's one if we're also factoring in sort of outside the the bigger leagues then i think there's a team in the is it like the fifth or sixth division in Bosnia where two thirds of the pitch is in Bosnia and one third of it is in Croatia, oh, which is also wow. pretty remarkable. Oh, that is remarkable. Oh yeah. So are we supposed to be talking top flight? Is that the, the stipulation? That's what I've got the data for. But of course ah. there are, you know, these unique cases where they sort of straddle a border, but the ones that I've got are in Europe's top 20 leagues, because what I basically did to calculate this for all every club in Europe's top 20 leagues, which use Google Maps' measure the distance function and click the closest point of the stadium and the closest point of the border. So it took forever. <laughs> really say, took forever. Sounds like you've lost a whole week to this. I, I mean, I feel like we owe it to you to, to know what this data says now. <laughs> the closest one is Monaco, uh, yeah. which is 14 metres from the French border. So you have to cross one road from one end of the stadium and it's 14 meters. That's the closest that I've found. Wow. That's very cool. That's very cool. Okay. So, right. Because Monica, when you say it, I think, okay, that, that probably should have been an obvious one. Who, who is like the runner up? So positions two, three, and four are all taken by Austrian clubs. It seems actually to be a bit of an Alpine phenomenon these sort of border clubs. So you've got, in fourth place, you've got Red Bull Salzburg. They're 1.37 kilometers from Germany. 
In third place, you have Altac, who are also in Vorarlberg, close to Switzerland. They're 1.33 kilometers away. And the stadium I mentioned, Lustenau, is 0.13 kilometers away. So Austria has nailed down positions two, three, and four. That's pretty amazing. Are there are there any really surprising ones? Because I kind of when I think about Austria, I think about obviously it it having a lot of borders. Like it's a place that you'd imagine. Yeah. Are there any in there that like you just think you'd never get? Yeah, perhaps. Because what I did to calculate this is I only did it for Europe's top twenty leagues, but I included every possible sovereign state as border states, which means that in Italy, for example. You have Rome and Lazio, who are joint seventh on the list because the Stadio Olimpico is 2.78 kilometers from the Vatican. <laughs> from the Vatican. That's yeah. a brilliant trick question for a quiz, wouldn't it? That one. Uh, yeah, of course. I hadn't thought about that. Um, and then I alluded to the fact that it's an Alpine phenomenon because there are also three Swiss clubs in the top 10 list, uh, including <laughs> two of them who have Stadia built on the top of shopping centers which uh, I think is always <laughs> <laughs> a nice quirk. So you have Lugano with no shopping center in 10th place, but then Basel and Servette are, I think, 3.39 kilometers from France. That's Servette. And Basel is 2.13 kilometers from Germany. And the Swiss love building a stadium on a shopping center or next to a shopping center. I think 40% of their top flight clubs have a shopping center next door or underneath the stadium. Mm. Uh, in case you're wondering, the other two teams in the top 10 are Fortuna Sittard of the Netherlands and Dnipro minus one of Ukraine. And you'll be able to read the full list as a thread in the next week or two. I'll put that on Twitter. Uh, but now it's time for a word on our sponsor, the family-run mystery football shirt business, Surprise Shirts, who have risen to the brief we've given them and sent us a mystery shirt belonging to a border club whose identity we do not know. And the challenge for us is to open that and try and work out what the shirt is. So what what have we got in the mystery package? All right, I'm going I'm to open this up. You're going to get all the audio pleasure of a man opening a box here. So I've got a lovely <laughs> bit of tissue paper. I'm just going to undo. It's look, It already looks beautiful, the shirt, by the way. Wait a minute. Right, I have a shirt. It's, it's white, predominantly white, but with a, a blue stripe across the, the top. And then a red stripe and sort of in the very corner towards the sleeve. So it's it's like mostly white, bit of blue, bit of white, bit of red, which is a really nice combination. Looks ever so slightly like a cycling jersey in my eyes. That says Fortuna on it. I presume that's the Fortuna Liga, which could either be Czech or Slovakia. Yes, and that was that was just where I was thinking because it said. I mean, the the badge is quite clearly giving us. The, the you know the initials and it's not helping me massively but the initials are ts and then below it it says pod beskidzia so i can't help but think we've been taunted a bit in that if we actually knew enough <laughs> we would be able to just nail this one off but um it also has a player name on the back by looks of it or a sponsor it says penzel and it's number 23 I'm pretty sure that's Slovakia, and I think it might be either in the top tier or the club that got relegated last season. Ah, so it is top tier. You're right, because it says on the sleeve sponsor, it says one Liga. So the one Liga is the top tier, isn't it? I think in, I'm pretty sure it's, I don't think there's a premier league in Slovakia, is there? It's just top tier. 
Yeah, okay. Oh, it we're is. wrong. It's the we're it's wrong. the second it's the second Polish division. Oh. They've got us again. Surprise shirts have got us again. It's TS Podbiskitsia mm-hmm. who finished 7th in the Polish second tier last season. Oh, I thought we had it there. They've really done us. I think we we fell down a hole because we because it said first league or one league. And that yeah. kind of would have made sense for it to be Slovak. But no, they've done us. Fair play to them. Um, <laughs> I think I've, they've given us a little fact sheet about the club as well, now that we've um, okay. admitted our complete failure. So it says, um, TS Podbeskitsia Bielsko-Biala is a Polish football club based in the southern city of Bielsko-Biala. TSP compete in the one league the second tier of football in Poland. They play their home matches at the Stadion Miedzki, which is a capacity of 15,316. While wearing this shirt in the 2018-19 to season, they finished sixth in the, the first league out of 18. <laughs> and they, so they finished, it says, a point total of 48 from 39 games was far short of the 69 required to finish the automatic promotion places. They did, however, hold on to the season record for the biggest away win in the history of the second division when they won 5-0 against Vigre. They are based in the town of Bielsko-Biala, the city, sorry, of Bielsko-Biala, which is really close to the Czech Republic and Slovakia. So that's where it links into the border theme. Yeah, well, you know, well, let's let's save a bit of face. <laughs> we were, we were <laughs> yeah, a big thank you to Surprise Shirts for rising to the occasion there. If you like the idea of a mystery box for yourself or perhaps as a gift for somebody else, head on over to www.surpriseshirts.co.uk and place your order. Their assortment of shirts could hardly be more niche and random, containing everything from the Anguillan Football League to the Zimbabwean second tier. In addition to the mystery elements, surprise shirts will also guarantee to send you something from outside your home country. They'll take into consideration any teams you might like to avoid, and they'll provide you with a fact card all about your new shirt. Boxes cost £35.99 for adults and £26.99 for kids. And listeners get an extra 10% off with the discount code SWEEPER, all in capital letters. Shipping costs are very, very reasonable to a great many countries worldwide. So head on over to www.surpriseshirts.co.uk to place your mystery order. That's it for part two. We'll be back after a quick break with some stories from France, Poland, and of course, San Marino. Welcome back to part three of The Sweeper. Now, if you enjoyed the geography section in part two, we've got more of where that came from on our next bonus episode, which will be released on Wednesday, the 21st of June. So if you want to find out which countries in Europe have the highest proportion of capital clubs and hear many other weird and wacky stories, sign up to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash sweeperpod. It's £5 a month or whatever that is in your local currency plus VAT, and you can cancel at any time. Paul, in addition to quirky geography, what else can our patrons look forward to in the next episode? Well, basically every single thing you could like is in this Patreon episode. We've got players urinating on the pitch. We've got the Faroe Mm. Islands, a deeper dive into Mongolian football. What's going on at the moment with Mongolian football? I'll let you know. Tibetan football, Tibet's championships going on at the moment. And we'll talk about that and the history of Tibetan football, the strange history of Tibetan football. And then some title races and playoff madness from Belgium, Bulgaria, and a really, really weird story from the Netherlands. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into that. I also really enjoyed the story that you told on the last bonus episode, which was about the Moldovan club president who masterminded a 
bank fraud scandal. So patrons can also access that if you sign up previous and current bonus episodes, plus access to our Discord and the right to vote on the main story in each pod. That's patreon.com forward slash sweeper pod. On to our next story. What's been going on at Ajaccio? Well, this is a, a brilliant away day story. So Ajaccio, not having the best times. They've been relegated from uh, Ligue 1. They had been beaten 3-0 by Lens. So not a great day out. And it was made even worse because they forgot one of their players when the team coach <laughs> left. The team coach left striker Ben Ahmed Toure. He came out of the stadium five minutes after the rest of his teammates and sort of comes out, looks around, the bus is gone. So the really sweet thing is there's this lovely sort of video of him just hanging out with some supporters, some Lons supporters, some of the home fans, <laughs> just sort of hung out with him while he had to sort of call up and say, hey, guys, you, you left me behind, which is absolutely amazing. You have to fear for a club, really, for the kind of season they're having when they can't even perform a sort of head count on their, their mm. players. Yeah, that's a bad one to miss as well, because I'm pretty sure Lons is right in the north of France, isn't it? Quite close to Belgium. And yeah. obviously, Ajaccio is in Corsica. It's Corsica. That's another island club that haven't fared well, isn't it, actually? Got relegated, yet another one. Yeah, so I, yeah, I imagine that would have been the bus to the airport to get the plane. So yeah, you really don't want to miss that one. Yeah, <laughs> just something, um, something really mournful about losing 3-0, already relegated, can't even get on the bus with your teammates. That must happen. That must be a thing players missing the bus or, or the plane or something like that. I can't immediately think of any other examples right now, but that must happen a fair bit. Yeah, I think it does. And then you get players that are given dispensation to travel on in their own way to certain games for various reasons. like, And that can often go quite wrong, I think. So sometimes the players are allowed to get themselves to the game and inevitably there'll be a problem in that situation, I imagine. Yeah, that reminds me. I went to an Austria game I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. And everybody took the team bus except for Marco Arnautovic, who turned up in his Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> I love what that does for team. That's what you should always have for team morale. It's like the, the most famous or best paid player should always turn up on their own in luxury transport while the rest are <laughs> on a sweaty bus. <laughs> Our next story, From France to Poland, is all about the curious case of Rook Chortsov. Have you ever heard of them? I've heard the name, but I don't know anything about them. I'll freely admit that. Well, I have to credit the excellent Polish language Twitter account DB Absur for bringing this one to our attention. He says that Ruk Chortsov are the first club in history to suffer three consecutive relegations from the top flight and then achieve three successive promotions back to the top flight. And it's all happened in the last decade as well. Wow. It's funny because that, that there are clubs that kind of get reputation for doing that. But you're right, they don't tend to do it back to back to back so you know obviously in Premier League Fulham before their current sort of brilliance were um were, were sort of known for for being a yo-yo club weren't they and you know you get these clubs that you say well they're always up and down but actually in reality they don't tend to go literally up and down up and down three times it's, it's impressive yeah it is I don't know if impressive is that I guess it is impressive they are 14-time Polish champions so I think their demise came as a bit of a surprise to a lot of people but between 2017 to 2019, they went down three years in a row. From what I can gather, the reasons including debts, losing important players, transfer bans, points penalties, pretty much, pretty much mm. all the bad stuff thrown in there. And then they were in the fourth division in 2019 to 20, but that was ended prematurely due to COVID. Then in the three subsequent full seasons from 21 to 23, 
They've worked their way back due to greater fan involvement. They've recruited players from the local region and they've come up with this 10-year plan to get back to the extra cluster and they've done it in three. Oh, maybe they, they factored in a few going back downs again, maybe. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess, I, I guess it's impressive because a lot of clubs, when they do get relegated, they tend to hit the skids, don't they? I mean, there's a lot of that that happens in... You know, all over the all over the world, where you relegation leads to more problems, leads to more problems. So, in a way, it's the resilience that's impressive to sort of go down, come back up, go down, come back. I did look into the records for promotions and relegations. We talked about Belenenc on a recent pod. They share the record with, I think, eight other teams or seven other teams, actually, with five consecutive promotions. Most consecutive relegations is four. That's shared by three teams. And uh, there's a lot of teams with three. In fact, unless I'm making a big faux pas, you're a Bristol City fan, aren't you? <laughs> I am, yeah, I am. Uh, yeah, yeah. So were there three consecutive relegations at one point? That would have been before my time, I think. What was that when we were in the top tier and then we went all the way down to the bottom? I think you might be right. So there's a period where we were in the top division before my I, I existed, obviously, because I'm destined to never see uh, Bristol City in the top flight. And then obviously the club completely capitulated to the point of almost extinction. So I didn't know that they were all consecutive, but that would make a lot of sense. So that would have been in the 80s. Uh, so I was born in 1984 mm-hmm. and we were in the top flight in 19... I think we left the top flight in 1979. So like safely right. before I was born. But yeah, I think we went from the top flight all the way down and then the club had to reform so it's quite a famous group called the ashton gate eight who basically accepted not being paid their salaries in order to keep the club alive mm-hmm. and that was there was a period where we also had to reform the club so i think that must be about 1982 so yeah that would make sense if we if we'd done that i sort of um luckily wasn't alive to see that slide <laughs> i also had a look at other clubs that have set records i looked for the biggest yo-yo clubs alternating promotions and relegations the most is 10 that's shared by two teams bfc sudering in germany and the current cypriot champions aris limassol who have went up and down five the up five times down five times that's interesting yeah because i think you know aris limassol's achievements being talked up as like a massive massive underdog story really because they're not the kind of club that would would have won the title in cyprus right so it makes sense if they've gone from being a sort of yo-yo club to being champions which is kind of pretty unusual really talking of underdogs we always manage to get a mention in for san marino on the pod don't we and that's where our final story is today what's the news well san marino's going to have an academy club added to the league so we were talking before about the fact that san marino has 15 team league and it's pretty impressive but such a small place does well it's going to have i believe a 16th club i don't think anyone's gone bust although we did recently do that story about Kailungo, one of the teams having to appeal for players. But what they're doing is adding Sam Reader's under-23 squad, the national under-23, effectively, into the league as a club so they can compete against older opposition, basically, and more regular match play. And I was thinking about this and thinking, you know, it just sounds like quite a good idea. And it reminds me, actually, that they do this in Bhutan as well. So Bhutan has a club in the top league that is the Bhutan football federations academy team and that's players of under i think they're under 19 in bhutan and it does work pretty well actually they're they're pretty competitive and it gives good kind of match day experience to the to the younger players is the idea behind that that they will improve their national team do you think because obviously san marino have this 
128-game winless streak, the longest in international football history. Is this a, a, a means to perhaps rectify that? Yeah, I think what it does is it gives... It's twofold. So it makes sure that these players are getting tough, competitive match play week in, week out. But it also builds a stronger team unit because they're playing as a team. So I guess the idea is that in a few years' time, this this breed of sort of young Samaranese players will be a stronger outfit as a result. But yeah, as you say, maybe it's a roll of the dice because things are not looking enormously bright for some reason you know, on the international stage. That said, yeah. that said, you might be about to head out there to change all that, aren't you? You're, you're going to be their lucky charm. <laughs> One would hope. Uh, so I am there from the 15th to the 18th of June. So some of you listening to this podcast, I may have been already but I'm going to Parma to see them play uh, Kazakhstan. It's a bit of a shame that the game's not in Serra Valley, but that's because I think of construction work on the stadium. I finally managed to get in contact with the San Marino FA. So (laughs) they did respond to my accreditation request. Um, So I will be there. And on the next episode, I think we'll spend the first part of that in one of two ways, either total ecstasy that the longest winless run in international football has ended or just total misery of is this going to happen forever yeah and and I think we said before on the pod that this was a fixture that San Marino fans had looked at as this is the one they can win Kazakhstan home out of all their qualification um, matches but in reality that changed quite drastically when Kazakhstan upset Denmark (laughs) I think that Mm -hmm. probably slightly reset the expectation yeah having said that they have done pretty well in the last two games I think they kept it down to 2-0 defeats and Slovenia didn't manage to score against them for the first hour so we we can but hope and imagine if I am there for the game that ends the 19-year winless streak that would that would be quite something I will be posting lots of content from that trip and from the game so you can keep uh, up to date with that on Instagram and Twitter at sweeperpod and we'll have a little bit of a chat about it on the discord channel too I think that pretty much wraps it up for this episode We'll be back with our next regular pod on the 28th of June to talk about San Marino and much more besides. But if you want to hear more from us before then, remember to sign up for the bonus podcasts at patreon.com forward slash sweeper pod. We've almost covered our editing costs through your contributions so far. Thanks very much to everyone who signed up and any further support to help us get over the line will be greatly appreciated. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to The Sweeper, the pan-European football podcast. If you like what you've heard, come and follow us on Twitter at SweeperPod and leave a review for us on your podcast platform of choice. Special thanks go to the Gentleman Creatives Design Agency in Vienna, Austria for their amazing graphics and logos. You'll find them too if you come to our Twitter page. Sweeper.